The wonder is you can start with nothing and end with nothing and lose so much in between. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks with me, your host, Ramia Amazon. We picked a quote. Well, actually, I should take zero credit for this. This quote was picked by Amir Khan, and it's from Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsover. And this book will be featured in a second when we get together with Amir Khan and talk about his book picks of the month. Why? Why not? Uh, but let's get quickly to the SELA homepage. If you go to the Center for Equitable Library Access via their website, celalibrary.ca, you will find three featured titles. They are still The Whispers by Ashley Audrain, and this is a suspense and thrillers we're going to chat about next week. So we're finally almost there with that chat. We also have The Wager by David Graham, and this is a history. And the final title up there is The Misses by E.L. James, which is a romance. On today's episode, like I said, we're going to be checking in with Amir Khan. He's got some Pulitzer Prize winners that he wants us to go through. So we'll find out what he's thought about them. Let's check in with Amir Khan on AMI Audiobook Review. It is the last episode of the month and Amir, the audiobook worm, is here to give us a brief of how the reading has been going this month and the theme because there is a theme at the end of the month, usually, is Pulitzer Prize winners. So, Amir, before we get into the actual books that you chose, because there are three books we want to highlight, um, you want to tell us a little bit about the Pulitzer Prize and the origins behind it. Was it interesting? It, it was. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's something that we've all heard about quite a bit and in different sort of forms and, and ways. Um, so I, I wanted to just get like sort of a baseline as to what this prize is and where it sort of came from and the the history of it is is not all that long so uh i wanted to uh, let people know what it is because i found it interesting um uh, joseph pulitzer was actually a immigrant from hungary who landed in st louis missouri in the united states in the uh, i believe the early 1900s or so um and he uh, basically started working at a newspaper uh, then ended up owning the newspaper, then own, ended up owning several newspapers uh, throughout the United States. So a real sort of American dream story um, uh, come to life uh, in his passing and in his will. He basically stipulated that, uh, that this prize should be set up. Uh, originally, it was a prize for journalism, which it still is. There are still uh, Pulitzer Prizes for journalism. Um, Joseph Pulitzer also founded the Columbia School of Journalism, which is where the board sits for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, and every year they uh, go through, I think, 23 categories, um, everything from journalism to fiction to nonfiction. Um, the categories have sort of changed since the uh, just before the 1920s to now. Um, but I think most famous uh, uh, the prize is for is for journalism and for for fiction. So I decided to take a, a a look at some of the more recent winners of the Pulitzer Prize in the fiction category. Okay. Well, first of all, this is kind of wild the amount that it's grown. But I mean, in a significant amount of time as well, right? So it's not like it's just happened overnight. Um, but I do think that it's got lots of recognition now obviously. Um, but it's nice to see that it's expanded from just journalism into all kinds of um, writing. Now, the three books that you picked for today that you want to highlight, is there a running theme? Is there a chain that kind of links these together? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I found them very similar. They're all, they're very different topics, but uh, I I think for for the most part, with the especially these three books, there's there's a certain melancholy, um, certain amount of sadness, and but th there's a significant amount of hope in these books too. Uh, each of these books sort of examines a important period in history, um, and important events of that particular time that it's that it's set in. Um, so I, I found that great. I mean, the other thing that really sets Pulitzer Prize winning sort of uh, fiction apart from others is just the author's ability to paint a picture mm -hmm. in a concise number of words, right? I mean, like, they're not using a whole lot of words, but they, they're saying so much in those few words that it, it really makes readers think as well as paint the picture. Um, and, and the sort of other piece that I found that really ties a lot of this together is just the reading level. Um, you and I have talked a little bit more about young adult and how much, you know, how popular it's become in terms of a genre. Um, this is more on the adult side of young adult, so older young adult. But I feel like any of these three books could could be used in sort of a, you know, grade eleven, grade twelve, sort of a high school level learning. Uh, I mm -hmm. think uh, the Underground Railroad by Colson Whiten is actually used in school um, to teach a bit about the Underground Railroad. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm curious about the three books, of course, but I'm also curious about your um, take on the recognition of something being a Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, so with these books, like with the fiction uh, that you've chosen, do you find that you're critiquing the recognition through the accolades of Pulitzer Prize winning? I think from, from my own personal perspective, when I start the book and I know that it's it's a prize winner, I'm looking for mm -hmm. a certain writing quality. Okay, yep. Um, and I'm looking for a certain profoundness in the books, uh, which all three of these definitely have. Um, you know, there's the, the nature of, of the prize is kind of the effect it has on society. Um, it's interesting from from the the when I was looking at the the actual prize that uh, there were some people when it first came out that that thought it was a sort of self-congratulatory piece mm. for for journalism rather than an actual um, award that was merited. Uh, obviously, that has changed over time and it is very prized and, and people do feel that uh, these awards are merited. Um, a lot of these three books also have other awards that uh, in addition to the Pulitzer. Um, so it's always sort of a good sign when, when books have more than one award. Yeah. Um, and, and you're always looking for something that sets them apart from other books. And I think that's the sort of lens I look at it when I start reading this book. Like, okay, why am I reading this book as opposed to other books? And what's what's the mm. difference? Yeah. I mean, definitely. It's not just like the review process. Uh, it's not like a, a publicly acclaimed or anything like that. There's something more there's more depth that we're looking for right and it, when you say writing quality we're not just talking about style either we're talking about the actual significance of the contents of the book so that that's quite deep yeah substance and observation as well i think that, mm. that's the other piece that that sets these three apart from you know just an average book as well is that the authors have a certain perception and a way of telling the reader about observations of humanity that um, is not easy to do. I mean, you can pick up uh, a popular author and there's some elements of that typically with, with very popular authors, but uh, usually not to this depth and breadth. Right, right. Okay, so then let's get right into the examples. What's the first one you want to mention? A Demon Copperhead uh, by Barbara Kingsolver. 
Uh, this was my first book uh, by this particular author. Um, this was actually recommended to me by someone, and uh, they said it was great. It was a Pulitzer Prize winner, um, and I wasn't sure what it was about, so I took a quick look at the synopsis. And it, it's hard to describe the book without giving too much away, but the, the gist of the of the novel is is following the story of a young boy who grows up uh, in sort of trailer and tragedy in uh, poverty in West Virginia. Um, so it's a very, you know, set in America type of story. Uh, West Virginia is known for coal mining or was known for coal mining um, many years ago. And it's the story of, of a boy who is growing up in that, in the aftermath of this particular boom um, and how even through a lot of adversity, there's, there's a, a very healthy level of optimism uh, in him to succeed. So when you were reading this book, did it feel very unfamiliar, the the situations, the circumstances that you were reading about? No, I mean, it, it, it's a standard story of struggle and, and, and strife uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it's very well written in terms of the way that things are observed. Um, for all three of these novels, you have these concepts of nature versus um, uh, nature versus nurture. Uh, you also have the concept of perhaps the government is not always in the best interest of the people, uh, even though uh, from a United States perspective, the government is supposed to be for the people uh, of the people. Um, not to say that these are conspiracy theory books by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I think the authors in all three of these books have a well-balanced approach to say that you know not everybody is perfect, including the government. I know that um, when we read things that feel... You know, like we, we can analyze like the struggle itself or the circumstance that's being, you know, broadly put to us. Right. And that kind of thing is uh, easier to analyze. But when you when it comes down to like the depth of the emotional, did you feel like it was done very well? Yes. For all three yeah. books. I mean, you, you really feel like you're in the character's shoes. You're really feeling their pain, their elation um, for a lot of these three books there they're sort of mm. living the American dream or the exception to the rule um, would be a better way of, of, of putting it. And you're really cheering the, the characters on. Right. Um, and all three of these books sort of follow the life uh, and also delve into sort of the origins from before as well uh, in terms of history of these characters, which I think is very telling in terms of why the characters are the way they are. What was one of the, because it seems like there were a lot of different themes of resilience being explored here just because of the the character and everything that they were going through was there one particular theme that really stood out to you there was but i don't want to give it away so uh, i'll <laughs> spoilers yeah the, and and i think that's one of the really interesting parts of reading this book is that you don't know really where it's going but when it reveals itself it totally mm -hmm. makes sense um i i will say that there is um the concept of the foster system or the Department of Children Services mm -hmm. that that is prevalent in the beginning part of the book. Um, his mother is, uh, you know, struggles with addiction, and you can see how that has sort of shaped him and his life and his uh, outlook on things uh, from an early age. I think addiction is something that's um, it's terribly difficult to explore as a t as the theme because. We come with so many biases already about the subject, right? So we're going into it. I maybe defensive. Um, a lot of the times, our own judgment really just gets in the way. So 
would you say in this book, and we can talk about the other two books as well, but um, in this book, were you being challenged on a lot of your own preconceived notions? It doesn't have to be about the addiction portion, but in general, that's also I another thing. I think so. Um, me personally, I, you know, a lot of the, the items that were explored in the book, I, if they weren't surprises to me. Um, the, the more interesting part uh, in terms of themes was also the concept of rural versus city life or urban living. Um, so this book takes place in like the here and now. So uh, again, this is a 2023 prize winner and the book pretty much takes place in um, uh, in in our time in terms of cell phones and all that. So it's, it's not going back, you know, into the 1950s or something like that. Um, so even at, in today's world, it was really interesting to see how the author explores that concept of uh, rural living in terms of, you know, West Virginia in a small town versus somebody who's never seen a city walking into one and, and what that's like. Okay, well, interesting. Let's get to the second book, too, then, so we can get uh, start looping in the kinds of things that were explored with the other two books. What's the second one? Uh, the second book is called The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Um, just before we get into that, I just wanted to comment yeah. about something from the previous book. And it's one of the terms the author uses when the uh, when the main character sees uh, apartment buildings for the first time. And of course, he's coming from rural, you know, Virginia, where, you know, everybody grows up in a trailer and has a little strip of land. Mm. And he coins the the apartments uh, doom castles. Uh, and I thought that was really great, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how do you get out? How do you say hello to your neighbor? How do you know, you know, thousands of people um, mm. and, and say hello where, you know, in his world, that's the way you live. You know who your neighbors are and, you you know, you talk to them and, you know, if you need to get out, you can get out quickly. Um yeah. And and it's not like that everywhere. No. Definitely. Okay, so you were saying Um yeah, so Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead uh as the name implies it's about the Underground Railroad um and it goes back to that particular time of slavery um and that sort of in between time where, you know, northern states um you know, some states uh, had slavery things on their on their books. And of course, in the Deep South, um, they did not uh, in terms of uh, people being free. So it, it traces uh, sort of the origins of, of slavery in the United States uh, from Africa to uh, plantations. Uh, in this particular case, our main character is on a cotton farm. Um, the concept of, I, I think, the uh, military-industrial complex has is, is been talked about a lot, especially in, in reference to the Second World War. Um, but in this particular book, they're looking at a different sort of industrial complex, uh, which is more uh, agricultural uh, complex than anything else in terms of how the cotton industry sort of fueled the, uh, the slave industry of the time uh, and how difficult that was to change. Um, so you, you had all these, you know, sort of things uh, being explained in the book, which I think was, was explained very, very well. Um, you also had the concept of even if you escaped, you didn't escape um, or weren't uh, weren't exactly free until you crossed the border right. into Canada. So that was something I didn't know um, personally was that uh, even in northern states, if you, if you came to somewhere like New York or Virginia, um, if you were property of uh, a plantation or something, um, the plantation owners could actually hire um I guess they call them slave catchers to uh, basically find uh, runaways and bring them back. And these 
states had laws on their books where this was actually lawful. Um, so uh, to the point where I believe uh, in historical terms, there were some cases where it were tried in Canada in terms of bringing people back to their plantations, but uh, I don't mm. think those were successful. But um, again, I'm not, um, I'm not an expert in the field by any means. And that wasn't uh, brought up in the book itself? No. I mean, the concept okay. of, 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 you know, getting to Canada and, and that right. was the safe zone was, was, was definitely uh, something that was brought up in the book. And uh, there were places along the way, like South Carolina and some other places, which are mentioned in the book, where people had to make a hard choice in terms of, you know, things look good in terms of, you know, you, you could get a job, you were free. Did you really want to take a chance and keep going north? Because even mm -hmm. traveling was, was very risky uh, at that time. Um, Tell me what perspective this book was written in. Whose perspective? So for, for all, all of these books, they were written in a few different perspectives. The main character for this book is a, a young woman who, is, who tries to escape. Uh, the story of her is that her mother actually was the only one to successfully escape the plantation um, that she was, she was on. Um, mm. Nobody knew where she went or how, you know, what happened to her or, or whatever. But I mean, um, others had tried to escape and uh, were punished severely um, for, uh, for leaving and were brought back and uh, essentially tortured and, and killed. Um, and, and the book does a lot of description in terms of what living on a plantation was like as a slave. Um, and the, obviously the conditions were, were horrific. Um, and you know, that's, it's, it's not a book for everybody. Um, but at the same time, it's, it, it's something worth reading, uh, in terms of how people lived, how people got through these particular times, uh, and the types of things that went on in terms of not only of bringing slaves from Africa, but also, um, basically, uh, selling uh, slaves uh, that were uh, basically children um, mm. from from these plantations as well. I mean, it, when you think about like how many people are coming into reading a book like this with potentially little to no idea um, on the subject versus people who might have a ton of idea and are looking for, you know, validation, confirmation uh, for research purposes you know, that kind of thing, you're really catering to like a vast array of audience, right? Yeah, definitely you are. Um, I, I think there is one misconception here. Again, I am not an expert by any means in this in this particular um, time in history, but mm -hmm. um, the book does talk about an actual railroad that, that is taking people north um, secretly. Um, from from what I know from from our, my school studies, I mean the the Underground Railroad is more of a network of people bringing people north rather than an actual um, train and uh, you know that sort of thing taking people north. Yeah, um, which is interesting because a few weeks ago they had the um, emancipation ride uh, from the TTC, uh, which was actually on a train. Mm -hmm. um, to mark uh, the Underground Railroad. so uh, In Toronto, I, yeah. In Toronto. And I, I think we have this concept of, of a train bringing people uh, north from from um, from the south, which is not entirely accurate. No. And that's when we have to kind of um, dig a little deeper, right? Either during these reads or right after, because we are talking about fiction in essence. Uh, and, and that's not 
always just limited to like the character and the character story. Sometimes we're talking about things that we could truly misconstrue as as fact um, from history. So, Absolutely, and yeah. you know, and I think the author does a great job of not glorifying some 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 parts of of, of this particular history. I mean, okay. that even the train that that is described for for taking people north is not described as some sort of luxury <laughs> uh, railroad. Right. It's, it's it's described as people you know hiding in, in the coals or uh, hiding in in very uncomfortable places um, mm. just to see where where to go and you know the the concept of whether there would even be anybody on the other side or whether you'd be captured. Um, with a lot of these sorts of periods in history where you have uh, almost like a, a governmental uh, you know system or apparatus for keeping or oppressing um, a particular people you have this whole concept of people who are uh, informers or traders and it's really it gives you a sense of the paranoia and and the uh, the level of fear of course, um, that was prevalent yeah, even when you were on the uh, on the plantation or on these farms, uh, even if you weren't escaping. Yeah, yeah, because it's like uh, it for obvious reasons. It feels like a lose lose situation, right? You don't know what you're getting into, but doesn't mean that what you know is better. Uh, very tough. One more book. Sorry, that sounded kind of abrupt, but one more book we want to feature before we got to get out of here. Sure. Um, the Night Watchman is the last book uh, by Louise Eldridge, I think uh, is how you pronounce her name. Uh, she actually authored, her, uh, narrated her own book. By the way, all three of these books are human narrated on Sila, and all three of the narrators are absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, a lot of the quotes which I have uh, enjoyed from these books I, I'd like to write them down and reading them back with Jaws it, it's just not the same um, at all um, so I, I didn't want to put that shout out that all three uh, narrated uh, the, the book narrators were amazing uh, for mm -hmm. all three of these books um, The Night Watchman uh, is an indigenous fiction book uh, it is the story of a uh, as the name implies a night watchman um, from the Turtle Mountains North Dakota. This uh, is set in uh, the 1950s uh, in the United States. Uh, and the story centers around um, a bill that was put in Congress uh, that basically was designed to terminate um, the indigenous population of uh, the Turtle Mountains uh, in terms of First Nations peoples. Um, so the book is is a lot about how the how the people of the Turtle Mountains lived and worked with each other, um, the level of poverty that they had, but the level of pride they had on their land as well, um, and basically how, uh, especially this night watchman, went to D.C. basically to uh, oppose this particular bill. Yeah, I think like for all three of these books, honestly, you're navigating and are able to get a very zoomed in picture of um, characters representing particular communities, right, in particular times of history. And that is, I think, hard to do well, which is why taking it back to the recognition, the Pulitzer Prize, um, that is important to kind of like understand why these books get the recognition that they do because they do it this way and um, put you in a place of 
not just interest, but a real belief of the things that people are facing, even though these are fiction books that we're talking about. Yeah. And and I think, especially for this book, it really highlights the concept of, of how little choice you have um, between a bad choice and a worse choice. Um, right. You know, and, and what... Two evils. Yeah. The, the decision between two evils as well as how do you deal with that? You know, how do you mm. how do you live and how do you be continually optimistic when you're faced with these sort of challenges? Um, you know, the concept of uh, indigenous women and how they are treated is definitely um, uh, in, in this book. Uh, you have concepts of uh, misconceptions even in the 1950s. You know, you have one sort of uh, non-indigenous teacher that teaches at the school, and there's a conversation between him and. Um, the sort of elder who is leading this charge against the, the this bill, and he's asking like, "Don't you want to be a U.S. citizen?" And you know, the elder's like, "We've been a U.S. citizen since, you know, forever. That has nothing to do with this bill." And he's like, "What? You guys can vote?" And he's like, "Yes, after women and and others, we were given the right to vote as well." Um, so it, it was interesting to me to see this this sort of misconception from from this particular person, even though he's living with them and doesn't know uh, about them. So fantastic. I'm I'm glad that we got to talk through these three books. It feels like we didn't have enough time, though, but we do have to wrap and we'll check in with you next month. As always, thank you, Amir. You're very welcome. We were checking in with Amir Khan, as we usually do at the end of the month. I'm your host for AMI Audiobook Review, Ramia Amazon, with technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And starting season three next week, coming with some brand new upgrades for the pod and the show. We have somebody new joining the team, and you'll hear from that person and us next week when we get started. This is AMI Audiobook Review, and until next time, until season three, brand new refresher, happy audiobook listening. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.